thank you for joining us on The Skeptic Psychic, where we delve into ancient societies, the ghosts, the paranormal, UFOs, all looking at it from the perspective of the true believer and from the skeptic perspective. Joining me, my partner, my co-host, my sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Myself, I am Richard Gregg. And again, let's look into being the Skeptic Psychic. Hello, and welcome once again to the Skeptic Psychic, where we delve into the mentally macabre origins, straightforward, skeptics, everything in between. With me is always the wonderful, stunning, brave, intelligent, and very, uh, according to her husband, very good looking, very beautiful, in fact. Um, according to your husband. <laughs> okay, I guess he right. can count. Kimber <laughs> Rodriguez. Hey, how's it going? Pretty well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you today? This I'm fine Hollows Eve Eve. Uh, Diaz de la Muertes type nope. of situation, or as you uh, also call it, uh, up north, Mischief Night. Yes. Yes. Diaz de la Muertes is actually November 2nd. So. Oh, okay. Yes. I always thought it was uh, the day before. You know. Nope. It's a couple of days after. Alrighty. So, as always, we want to welcome everyone to the show. Yes, we're here. Come join us. We like yes. you. We want you to be here. If you're watching us on YouTube, we ask that you like and subscribe and hit the notification so you know when we go live. If live, you have live. Yes. If you happen to be listening to a replay through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other place where podcasts are found, you can rate us and give us a review. How many stars do we like? One, two, three, four, and five. Well, one, two, three, four, five. Um, my fingers are going in and out, losing my fingers. We prefer five stars. Hello, Raymond. Yes. Welcome. Happy Eve of Halloween Eve. Eve. Yes. Happy Halloween Eve. Um, we do like five stars, but we'll take whatever you give us. If you give us stars, please, please, please leave a review as well. That way we can know how we're doing. And you can. we will read the reviews on air. All we ask is that you keep it nice and clean. Um no matter how bad we are, if we suck, we suck. Tell us we suck. Yes. If we, if you love us, let us know. So. And so, tonight's topic is the origins of this wonderful holiday, which is tomorrow, namely Sandwin or Halloween. Yes. I remember as a kid watching um, The Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury. I don't know if anybody remembers that cartoon. And it always fascinated me because it took you through the, the history of the holiday. And, as well know, as where the, uh, cre uh, the creatures uh, came from. Yes. So. No chance of that happening. <laughs> ah, so why don't we kick off this episode? Alrighty, let's talk about the origins of Halloween. 
All Hallows Eve, most commonly known as Halloween, has been around for a thousand years, but just not in the form that we recognize today. Once seen as a pagan religious observance, the religious trappings slowly faded until now we're left with a holiday, up for dressing up, an excuse to door to door, begging for treats, and eventually struggling against the dreaded sugar high and crash. Yes, and a time for parents to fight the traffic, taking their kids out, and then steal their candy when the kids go to bed. Right. Yes. I mean, these days, we uh, it's we used to have a neighborhood. Now it's, we'll park in the middle of a parking lot and do truck or treat. Uh, I mean, they still go to the neighborhoods, but most of the kids like to go to the rich neighborhoods where they can get those $5 bills and those full-size candy bars. Yes. Had a friend one time that actually went to Arnold Schwarzenegger's house and the butler answered the door and handed him just a pack, uh, a pack of those, uh, uh, what is it, Hershey's chocolate bars. Like Not just the one, whole pack? The whole pack. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that trick or treat. Really? I remember yeah. digging through my candy bags looking for the chocolate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Have you seen that meme that it says, be sure to check your children's candy before they eat it and you crack it open and it's a piece of paper. And on the paper, it says, we've been trying to reach you about your car's warranty. Yes, I have. <laughs> no holds barred on that. Exactly. And let's talk about your phone service there. You know. <laughs> yes. Anyway, back to our topic. Oh, Halloween is your grandfather's birthday. That's Congratulations. Cool. Yes, today is actually our uh, favorite uncle's birthday. So. Yes, Harry Houdini died yesterday, uh, tomorrow. On Halloween? On Halloween. Interesting. Yes. yes. So, although All Hallows' Eve itself was first created as All Saints' Day, this was likely around the year 609 AD, though the official day and year he created the observance has been lost to time. Pope Boniface IV declared the holiday to be celebrated on May 13th. He did other things during his seven years as Pope, but the man had a lot on his plate, given that famine, plague, and some natural disasters were happening at the time. And he had a bunch of monks not only speaking heresy against the church doctrine, but those monks also were co cooperating with invaders of the Byzantine Empire. Yes. Today he is considered a saint, though no one but the Catholics and some dusty scholars will likely remember who he was or why he was honored with sainthood. Now, All Saints Day was created as a day of remembrance where all Catholics honored the saints of the church, both those that were known and unknown. It was during the reign of Pope Gregory III, somewhere between 731 or 741 AD. However, the day of, of observance moved to November 1st, likely as a substitute for what the church saw as a pagan worship and replacing it with a Christian worship. 
Those dang Christians always going to yeah. mess things up. Um, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, what pagan holiday? Well, the Irish Celts held their yearly festival called Samhain. And Samhain would be celebrated on November 1st, at least by the current calendar. It would have likely lasted about three days. It was believed that on this day that the souls of the dead would return to home, but not in the colorful and honored nod to our ancestors that is Mexico's Diaz de la Muertes, but rather when the souls that come home calling could be loving ancestors or harmful spirits there to haunt and torment you. Yes, I remember um, it said that the veil is the thinnest on Halloween. And that's what allowed these ghosts to come in. And I don't know about you, but I always personally felt like from September, well, for me, September 1st, but maybe like beginning of fall on to Halloween, to me, it just seems like a very creepy time of year. I don't know if it's the excitement building up of Halloween coming or if it really is that veil thinning. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? On do you believe that the veil actually thins this time of year, making it easier for uh, spirits to cross over? Makes me kind of wonder sometimes. I don't know. I've always felt that creepiness in the year come fall time. But, I mean, fall is my favorite time of year, and we got Halloween coming up. So maybe it's just wishful thinking on my end in anticipation for Halloween. Yeah, maybe. Um, however... You know, on this day, people would dress up in costumes and light bonfires to confuse and ward off the evil spirits. After all, if your ghostly visitors, bent on causing misery, found a witch or goblin hanging out at the house rather than you, you'd probably have felt you would have scared them off as well. This was back in the age of horse and cart, where storytelling or singing was the main form of entertainment. Um, unlike today, where kids don't think twice of popping in a blood and gore zombie flick or blowing heads off everyone they find in a video game. That is true. But, uh, these days we're kind of, I think, we've become desensitized. I agree. Um, yeah. Well, evil ghouls and ghosts were fighting, were frightening things. Samhain was an opportunity to reveal with celebrations flourished across Ireland. Not Ireland, but Ireland. Sorry, I, have a, I do a really bad Irish accent, but yeah. They would Ireland. revel in these, um, in these celebrations. And it celebrated the year's division of a lighter spring and summer months for the darker days of fall and winter. And you think that the uh, martyr man created the burning man? Think again. Every home would smother their household fires, and a huge bonfire which started in, in the earthwork pits on a hill outside of town. Pits so large, they can clearly be seen today. Livestock would be slaughtered and cast into the section of fire used for cooking. Food of all sorts would be prepared, both for the living and the dead. With the food of the dead never managed to eat 
being shared with those less well off. Yes, the Celts had been told, sorry, let me start that over. <laughs> the mm -hmm. Celts have been holding Samhain festivals for around thousands of years before Pope Boniface and Gregory started messing with it. They knew how to celebrate it. There is evidence, however, that perhaps Samhain even predates the Celts. The Celts first arrived in Ireland nearly 2,500 years ago, but there is earthen work pit in Ireland on the Hill of Terra that has been dated to nearly 5,000 years ago. While now growing grass for sheep to graze in, it's still cut deep into the earth. So there are some that theorize that the Samhain were actually started by the Druids. Yes, that's that's what I actually think. I think the Druids started it and the Celts carried it on. Um, but I definitely think it's much older and you know than what we give it credit for. Mm -hmm. It's not known for certain as history was passed down via storytelling from the period. Druid, Druidic lore consisted of a large number of verses that would be committed to memory, which could take up to years to master. Now, so essentially 20 years to master in uh, higher education took much longer to obtain than today. We got it easier than those druids. Yes. Funny, they don't look druish. <laughs> you know, mom considers herself a, Jewish, a druid because she loves trees. Oh, that may she feels be. connected to trees. Huh. You know, and we don't even really know what they taught. It was the Christian clerics in the 16th century that began transcribing key points of the Druidic beliefs from oral into something actually written down. But there are no actual verses that are known to have survived, even in translation. And given how faulty memory can be, there could have been a lot of information lost by time that the scholars started writing them down. Anyone has ever played the game Telephone has seen that for themselves. Um, that was one of my favorite games when I was a kid, was the telephone yes. game, or we called it actually Rumor, because it's interesting how you tell one person something, and by the time they get to the end, it's completely different than what it really originally was. Right. You know, we're not even sure whether it was the Druids or the Celts being originators of San Juan. Mm-hmm. This is very true. That is true. There's certainly some good indications of it being from the Druids, though. But scholars still go back and forth on this due to the lack of written information. It's really a technicality anyway, as the Druids are considered Celts for the most part. They spoke a dialect derived from the same language. But the Druids were part of the Gaelic society, which were farmers and shepherds, rather, rather than the more warlike Celts that took over. We should clarify the difference between a Celt and a Druid. While Druids bring up imaginary magic and wizardry in the ancient times, the Druids themselves were much broader definition. During the Iron Age, which would have been probably about 1200 BC, the Celts from, well, we're going to say early Britannia, through, though at this time the Celts were a whole area of covered England, 
Scotland, Wales, Isle of Man, Ireland, and the Britannic Islands. The British Celts were just beginning to settle in Ireland, given that they were known to be pacifists. Odds that that was more of an invasion rather than a quiet migration. In fact, the British Celts have discovered iron and how to work with it. It was far superior in war as the rest of the world was still working with bronze, a metal of lesser strength. Now we go to a couple of years after to completely obliterate the existing Irish culture has either been replaced it with their own or taken what it's like to be it adapted for their own usage. Druids belong to a much higher educated of the Gaelic society they lived in. It included poets, doctors, as well as their spiritual leaders, shamans, magic use, you know. Just because you fancy yourself a poet or a doctor did not mean that you were a druid. You would have been accepted by the group for initiation, spend up to way into 20 years learning your lessons and graduate by crawling into a cave to be reborn into the light of day. That's right. You earned your place in Druidic society by literally sitting in a dark cave all night by yourself. No light, no books, no iPod, nothing to read to keep you entertained. You would sit there, not sleeping either, though maybe some did, but more likely meditating or reciting verses of that knowledge that you had finally committed to memory and waiting for the morning light so you can crawl back out of the cave, reborn from your old existence. And it wasn't just any old day that you could be reborn. There is a structure in the country of Meath, Ireland, known as Newgrange, that is among the most famous prehistoric sites in the world. In fact, this entire area is filled with a variety of important archaeological sites. That's a hard word. Yes, archaeological sites. Thank you. My, my yeah. tongue. The structure I'm talking about is a mound that was discovered in the 17th century by men seeking stone to build with. At first, they thought they had discovered a cave as some dirt covering the mound had slipped over the centuries and blocked part of the opening. In 1975, it was fully excavated and has since, sorry, has since mostly been restored to its original condition. Now, surprisingly, this 250 foot wide and 40 foot high mound takes up an acre of land. Inside of the mound, there is long passage running over 60 feet long and leads to a cross-shape inner the chamber. This chamber was constructed so that at dawn on the shortest day of the year, which would be the winter solstice, which is December 21st, the rising sun would send a shaft of light directly down the passageway at dawn and last for less than 20 minutes. The engineering skills over 5,000 years ago are impressive as the sunlight on the solstice fills the entire chamber light and the roof of this has remained pretty much intact and waterproof throughout time. Even after all of these centuries, the Earth's orbit has only affected this by a manner of minutes. Now, rather than lighting up with the first rays of the suns, the chamber is filled with light 
four and a half minutes after sunrise. It was through a, ver a variety of caves and man-made mouths such as these that the druid would be born unto the world, acknowledged by his fellows and commoners as someone who would not only be seen as a spiritual leader, but also a legal authority or educator. They were lore keepers and political advisors of the time. They were supposedly literate. However, it is believed that their very doctrine kept them from recording their vast knowledge into a written form. Druids were so respected during their heyday that they, if they just intervened between two armies, they could stop a battle. Even Julius Caesar, leader of the Roman Empire, acknowledged their authority. However, over the years, other Caesars would denounce the Druid for their use of human sacrifices. Sure, they'd use one of those convicted of a serious crime to a sacrifice. But the Romans couldn't stand the once they finally stopped enjoying the gladiator bloodbaths of the Colosseums fight and embraced this, uh, Christianity. Raymond says, I wouldn't be able to sit in a cave all night, not being able to see <laughs> and worrying about bats. I would probably, because I personally love bats, so I would probably be feeding them bugs all night. So. But isn't it rather the pot calling the kettle black? Um, but we are getting a little off topic here. Yes, we are. And as a uh, Catholic papal holiday was created and then moved, the day before the saintly celebration was known as a preparation called All Hallows Eve. However, the Irish began to migrate wanting a better life. They took their celebrations and traditions with them, including Samhain. From Ireland, they migrated to United Kingdom as well as France, Rome, the Mediterranean, and a good chunk of Europe were hanging on to their own saintly Catholic roots as best they could, while the pagan holiday rapidly spread to the rest of the world through Irish immigration. In fact, the first American colonists in New England, namely the Puritans, were forbidden to even celebrate it for religious reasons, even though two of their members were Irish. As more settlers began moving in, those into the southern colonies had no problem enjoying the holiday, which was widely popular. As at Irish migration, Sam Wynn itself slowly shifted. Now the All Hallows Eve name was in place and eventually morphed into the now familiar Halloween right here right now in the stage though it's still called its older name in parts of the world it wasn't until the early 20th century that the irish and scottish communities in the united states began reviving the old customs of disguising themselves for the autumn celebration a popular activity in america at the time was the carving of pumpkins which naturally blended itself in
Ever wonder why we carve pumpkins? Some say it's just more thing to scare the ghouls from the door. But in Ireland, as well as Scotland, there is a story for this. The myth of Stingy Jack. Jack was a man who played the tricks from the devil. Well, upon his death, due to his questionable behavior, neither heaven nor hell wanted him. So the devil sent him off with nothing but a piece of coal to light his way. Jack made himself a lantern with a coal, placing it in a carved-off turnip, mind you, and still roams the earth to this day ever since, still holding his lantern. Yes, the original was a turnip. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was, you know, how it changed from the turnip to the uh, light, uh, pumpkin, but that is uh. something interesting. And no one really knows when the tradition began of those going around in costume, telling jokes, reciting poems, or performing tricks in exchange for a piece of fruit or other treat. But by the 1950s, trick-or-treating for candy became a boom for the candy companies throughout the United States. It is still the biggest holiday here for candy sales, even outstripping Easter and Christmas. And the Halloween holiday alone is estimated to make candy companies well over $9 billion a year. Now, there is uh, one of the theories is the fact that uh, in the New World, pumpkins and other gourds were more plentiful as opposed to turnips. So that's probably, you know, what happened. It was a lot cheaper and a lot more there to uh, pick up. Yes. So, we, uh, sorry for the delay. Um, Shelly just piped in. Hi, all. For some reason, it's not showing up in the show chat, but I see it here on my phone. So, hello, Shelly. I'm glad you were able to join us tonight. So, yes. And, uh, some believe that the Hindu Diwali festival, known as the Festival of Lights, may have been a common route somewhere back in time. Diwali marks the Hindu New Year just after the cells considered Sanhedrin San their New Year. Both festivals also occur around the same time of the year. The ancient Celts and Hindus both note the declining strength of the sun, and it was felt with the fire our closest thing to the fierce burning of the sun was a way to assist the sun on its journey to darker days. Sanwin was created as the waning sun made the barrier between our worlds and that of the dead thin because the Lord of the underworld no longer had to feed the flame of the sun. So now he walked upon the earth, trailing behind him and would follow the realms of the underworld, ghost, and the bay. Yay, she is in the chat now. Thank you for pointing that out, Raymond. Woohoo! Hey, Shelly. Now, tales in Ireland speak of druids who met invaders. I'm not even going to try to do this accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> they met invaders called Milicians who made their way to the Hill of Terra long before the British Celts. 
The invaders were advised to return to their ships by the Druids and sell off the shore to the links of Nine Waves. Their leader, a man called Don Ferrin, returns to his ships but does not sail to sea. He intended invasion and upset one of the Irish goddesses who punished him by sending the great storm. Now Don and his followers drowned when their ships broke into pieces and the Druids took Don's body, which had washed up to the shore out to a rocky island off the Western coast. He was the first of what would be many who tried to invade Ireland. Don somehow became elevated in their eyes to the God of the dead. As such, the place of his burial became known as the House of Dawn. The Hill of Tara, a sacred site to the Druids, marked the solstice. With its entrance in alignment to the setting sun on the day of Samhain, which coincidentally also aligns with the House of Dawn. So it could be possibly that the Druids and the Gauls of Ireland were familiar with their God of the Dead personally. That's a story, though it comes from the fragments that Christian scholars wrote down thousands of years ago. There are several different versions of who Don was and what he meant to Ireland. In a ninth century poem, he was the son of Ireland, who was dying wish was that all his descendants would gather to him after their deaths. Oddly hmm. enough, there is a small and rocky islet to the west of Ireland that does resemble a burial ground. It even has natural tunnel that runs through it, which allows the sea to pass through, just as if it were the opening to a burial mound. Now, modern maps call it the Bull Island. And even today, the tale is remembered that the souls of the dead depart westward over the sea to the setting sun. It was said that the souls of the sinners visit the house of dawn before they go to hell giving their blessing as they go to Don's soul, which still lives there. The righteous souls, however, only see the house of Don from afar and are not hindered on their journey into heaven. In the county province of Valenric, it is said that Don appears as a phantom horseman or a white palace and associated with the weather, the booms of thunder and the crashing of the lightning as Don Ferrin rides his horse through the sky. If the clouds appeared over the hill, it meant he was gathering them together to make rain. He is said to appear in a war always those who would interfere with his hill. On the western coast of Clare Dome, it is on his duties that is often encountered as a night horseman. Yes, Shelley, um, we actually talked about this in the beginning. The veil is much uh, thinner. thinner this time of the year. And that was a debate Rick and I were having was, I believe that, you know, this from, I say from September 1st on to October 31st, I can feel the thinning of the veil. Um, but I'm not sure if that's just my anticipation for the season and my love of fall and all things spooky, or if it really is thinned for that long, but that's just my thought on it. Um, but, you know, regardless of who Don was, 
The fires that saw when would aid the weakening sun and keeping dawn, Lord of the dead, at bay. No doubt as many of the weak and infirm would die with the cold weather descending, especially during years of famine. This was seen as proof that the Lord of the dead walked the earth. Hello, Nicole. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy it tonight. Also, the dampening of all household fires would be so that revelers could then relight them at the close of Samhain, with firebrands taken from the great bonfires, thus giving protection to its inhabitants throughout the winter. If the ghouls would not be appeased by the sacrifices of food, then they could wreak havoc. That's why the children now see. Cheek cheek. When going to the door. With a trick being some simple and harmless prank that should not be treated with a tasty treat. A gift of food, not appreciated, could encourage the wrath of the spirits. Or as in case, the trick-or-treaters. Some tricks are not very nice. In fact, we should probably thank our lucky stars that with supply being what the it is and the cost of everything rises. Odds are that they're pretty low that your home will be toilet papered or pelted with eggs or uh, a bag, a fire bag, you know, the, the thing mm -hmm. it's been in the past. The bag of poo? Yes, the fiery bags of poo. Yes. Reminds me of a scene of Can't Buy Me Love. You yes. know which one. Yes, I do. But let's take a look at Halloween itself today. Children now dress up in disposable outfits while going door to door, essentially mugging households under the threat for sugar, which is while it's since been proven, it doesn't really rot your teeth, can definitely add pounds to their little waistlines and diabetes in their future. Adults now have the option of pretty much anything they can think of wearing, having been turned into a sexy outfit, whether it makes sense or not. This is true. I've seen sexy Freddy Kruegers, sexy Michael Myers, you name it. They make I've it seen, sexy. I've seen sexy, uh, sexy uh, witchy schoolgirl. Yeah. Yeah. The only problem is if they, uh, they'd have the different color for the, uh, the houses, but they wouldn't have the symbols on it. Oh, you mean like the Harry Potter costumes? Yeah, like the the sexy, sexy uh, student. Interesting. I think I've seen those too. So, so yeah, this it's just uh, it's not everyday more. That's just an everyday North America. What about elsewhere? How have others adapted the holiday to their own liking? Discuss. Is the well, big and meaty not really big nor meaty? No, no, no. It's the big and tasty. It's neither big nor tasty. Nor tasty. Discuss. Yes. <laughs> First, let's just stick with some parts of the United States. Back in the 50s, when trick-or-treating was hitting its stride here, some air some areas actually saw children collecting donations for UNICEF. Um, I don't know if they still do this or not. Um, I know I've seen it like at, at fast food restaurants. They've got the little UNICEF booklets there, mm -hmm. um, which is not a bad thing to take no 
donations for charity. Um, but now they usually hold fun rather tongue tie again. Sorry. They usually hold fundraisers rather than asking poor little trick-or-treaters to do their money grubbing for them. Yes. You in. Okay. <laughs> oh, I've heard that one quite a few times. Shelly says she'll go as a ser serial killer as they look just like everyone else. Yes. yes. My brother's done that a few years. Not this brother, our other brother. Well, you ever hear the story about uh, how I almost got arrested by the police? No. Yeah. I went to a Halloween party one time as Charles Manson. Oh, my gosh. Went next door to the Burger King and uh, picked up a couple of uh, Whoppers and uh, walked back into the club I was at. Next thing I know, the, uh, the, uh, there were cops at the front door asking me to step out and I'm like, what seems to be the problem? And they're like, yeah, they, uh, the manager at Burger King said they were an escaped convict. <laughs> True. Not, not that you look like Charles Manson for real, but that's crazy. <laughs> anyway. And, uh, I got eighth prize at the uh, Halloween cost. Uh, Barely eight? I think Only it should have been eight. much... I think it should have been much higher considering that Burger King really thought you were the man. I know. Well, let's continue on. <laughs> so, true story. Yes. Did you know in some Midwestern states, especially around the areas around St. Louis and Des Moines, kids actually tell a horrible joke in order to be handed the candy? No, uh, no idea why. But if you move to Iowa or Missouri, you better pick your kid up a book of knock-knock jokes. In Detroit, Devil's Night or Mischief Night takes place on the night before Halloween. It is supposed to be for harmless pranks, but during the 70s and 80s, a lot of the old derelict buildings were burned down. The practice is pretty much defunct now, and it's probably for the best. Don't you agree, everybody? I agree. But enough about America. Where else is Halloween or Oh Hallow's Eve celebrated? Hi, Mike from Ohio. Glad you could join us. I hope you enjoy the show tonight. Yeah, going back to what you were saying about the knock-knock jokes, I actually have a friend who lives in Missouri. I think after the show, I'm going to message him and ask him if that's true or not. That's a very interesting one. Never heard that. Yes. But you would think perhaps Romania would be superstitious, but Transylvania hosts Halloween parties and street fe festivals. The rest of the country doesn't really celebrate it, though. Mostly, though, it's for the tourists who visit, looking for a spooky time hunting down Dracula at the castle Vlad the Impaler. Yes, Vlad. It was actually uh, around the time that people started going to Romania. They consider Vlad a uh, a folk hero. So yes. for them to actually get into the on board, because uh, around Romania, Serbia, Slovenia, that sort of thing, they, there's still small villages that do, still do believe in uh, that vampires do arise from the grave. But let's go ahead over to Spain. 
Yes. Were they eating um, chestnuts during the Halloween season? As they're just yes. coming into season, they also make a delicious uh, treat called Saint's Bones. And they get it named from the white marzipan cookies with a custard yellow filling. Rather than a holiday, though, they host Fiesta Doro de los Muertos. De los Santos. Oh. Or as Fiesta de los Mercados, or Festival of Merchants on October 31st in Cadiz. Mm. San Sebastian uh, hosts an annual horror and fantasy festival that, is, that evening. All Saints Day is celebrated, but not for All Hallows Eve. In Spain, they dress up as spooky characters. None of the superheroes are sexy creatures in the pop culture style that do appear here in the States. Yes. Mike, um, we actually talked about uh, the jack-o'-lantern a little earlier and the fact that it was actually originally a turnip. Um, and people would put it out to prevent the spirit of Jack from coming around, like to scare him away. Sorry. Oh, no little off there. Now, Thailand really only celebrates in the larger cities like Bangkok. The villagers do not like to celebrate. Villagers do not like to celebrate as much for fear of angering the spirits. Now, Haiti and other voodoo communities hold a festival of the ancestors. They journey to their ancestors' burial place and drink a rum that has been infused with chili peppers. During the procession, they leave food and drink offerings for their ancestors, being known as Ewa, which is a group of spirits created by the supreme god Bondi, or Bondier. Bondi. Yes. This is to support the needs of the living, as he himself is unknowable and unreachable and makes their presence known by possessing participants. The possessed person may sing, dance, speak, or even provide healing to those in need. Yes, and then we go over to Nepal. Uh, you know, they don't celebrate uh, Halloween itself, but they do have a festival of cows. Yes, between August and September to remember their loved ones that year. This isn't a Halloween like at all, but it's an interesting. <laughs> it is one of the most interesting ways to honor their dead. Families who have lost a relative are required to participate in a procession through Kathmandu, because that's what they're going to do, to lead, led by a cow. If there isn't an, an one available, a young boy dresses as one. It is thought that the cow will assist the deceased on their way to heaven. While it sounds sad, the festival itself is actually one of dancing, singing, mirth, and laughter. So I take it that the cow is sacred in Nepal as it is in India? Yes. Interesting. Now, in Wales, the people carve pumpkins into the shape of a dragon in honor to honor, in order to honor their famous heraldic symbol. For them, B 
being part of the original Pretanic Islands meant having a Samhain tradition of celebrating what is translated as Spirit Night. Now, I'm going to go ahead and stick with the English translation on this one, as I would completely butcher the Welsh pronunciation as I am butcher as I butchered their uh, accent at the beginning of this story. <laughs> now, Spirit Night is celebrated as much as it is in America, with houses decked out in spooky decorations, children trick-or-treating and parties. They bob for apples, and they also hide the harvest of the mare, which is a little horse made from cornstalk. To celebrate the end of the harvest, a special meal used to be eaten, which would be vegetables roasted over a roaring fire, and often included carrots, parsnips, potatoes, turnips, leeks, peas, mixed with milk and butter. Though other items could be intersped within that that have been abundant that year. The meal was meant to keep evil spirits at bay and sometimes would include a wedding ring added before serving. It's said that the lucky person who found the ring in the dish would soon marry. Mm, almost like the, uh, the Mardi Gras celebration, you know, finding the baby in the, uh, no, in that's the not Mardi Gras. That's, uh, King's Day. Oh, King's Day. Three, yes. Yeah. Three King's Day. Yeah. Yeah. But they also do it around Mardi Gras too. Now in Lithuania, it's believed that the year is divided in two halves, the light and the dark. And where they meet is October 31st. Instead of dressing up children and having play fights, pretending one person is a light half and the other is a dark. Halloween, as we see in, was only introduced to the country after the Independence Proclamation of 1990. Since that time, thanks to Hollywood, Hollywood, Movies and other Western influences, Halloween is rapidly gaining popularity amongst the younger generation. Interesting. Yes. Now, Japan and Korea didn't used to celebrate in October, but rather in August. But this keeps within the theme. In Japan, it is the Festival of Lanterns, in which people light paper lanterns for their dead relatives and allow it to illuminate the way should they be lost. Koreans do the same, with many also taking food to their ancestors' tombs to thank them. Japan now has embraced Halloween, though it's generally for adults and not kids, as there is no trick-or-treating, but there is a huge Halloween parade in Tokyo, which features somewhere around 4,000 people who applied months in advance to be a part of it. Cosplay and parties are huge, and partying has been known to start up to weeks before the holiday actually even arrives. It was the Tokyo Disneyland which first impressed upon Japan our Halloween customs in 2000, with Osaka's Universal Studios, Japan follows suit. It took a year, I'm sorry, it took a few years to catch on with locals. 
In fact, as recent as 2009, foreigners riding the train in both Tokyo and Osaka in costumes used to upset the locals so much that protesters appeared in Tokyo's Shinjuku. Stations with signs to show their outrage over their commute being taken over one day a year. As foreigners began treating the trains like their own private party lounge and being generally disruptive. Yes, I saw we have a troll. <laughs> we ha we've been getting those bot messages again. Sorry about that. <laughs> Japan still celebrates the fall, though. It's more enveloped into Halloween than once was. And the trappings we tie to the holiday aren't all embraced. However, as Japan's pumpkins are green on the outside, it has become wildly popular to decorate with imported orange pumpkins for the holiday. Um, before we move on, though, I do want to point out, since we're speaking about Japan and Korea, about the horrible tragedy that took place um, in South Korea and Seoul, where uh, they had the stampede at a Halloween celebration and several people were injured and died. So our blessings and prayers go out to Seoul. Um, may they be comforted in this time and may those who are injured heal. Um, I do want to go ahead and point that out. Yes. We don't want anybody to think that we can, you know, that these wild Halloween parties are not the, Condoned. Condoned, yeah. Yes. So our thoughts go out, our thoughts and blessings go out to those in, in Korea and Seoul right now. Now let's move on to China. In China, their feast is called Hungry Ghosts, and it happens in August, with entire month considered Ghost Month, in which ancestors are allowed out of the lower realm of the underworld. During this festive time, fires, lanterns are lit to guide the dead relatives and food is placed in front of their portraits and often torched in bonfires. Just about anything a person feels will bring comfort and succor to the dead, including paper money, and will often be burnt in offerings. Other items, however, are symbolic and created from the pepper mache or form of banknotes made out of joss paper which is printed to resemble legal money and is thought to hold value in the afterlife. Items to be burned can be paper houses, cars, servants, televisions, etc. to please the spirits and ghosts. Rituals are often performed to transmute and absolve the suffering of those of the deceased and in some eras, live performances are held with the front rows empty so only the ghosts could sit there. Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Taiwan also hold similar festivals. Other Buddhist nations, such as Cambodia, Laos, Sri Lanka, and Thailand, may hold their various festivals at the other times of the year, but they all seem to adhere to the same similar beliefs. Interesting. So with the money, the banknotes and stuff, it's kind of like the uh, Egyptian tradition where they, you know, 
leave them with the stuff that can carry on into the afterlife. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we always say they can't take it with them, but uh, it seems like, oh, we'll find a way. <laughs> right? Yeah. We'll just burn yes. a few yen. Now, in Scotland, bombing for apples is a tradition that stems back to the Celts who held apples as sacred. It is said that if you peel an apple in one long strip, you are to save it for Samhain Eve. On that one evening, you should toss the peel over your shoulder. The peel will fall into the shape of your destined spouse's first initial. That's interesting because um, one of my favorite shows is uh, the original Charmed. And there's an episode where they go back in time and they're having, you know, this, this tradition and this guy who ends up with one of the characters, he tells, he says that. And so she carves it and throws it in and it has his initial. And so they end up together and everything, but spoiler alert for the show. I just found that interesting how the show <laughs> find that interesting how they, they actually tied that, that tradition into the show. Um, also, sausage has been a tradition for Scottish Samhain food since ancient times. Though the Witchcraft Act of 1735 made it illegal to eat pork pastries on Halloween. Um, that's sad. Yeah. It was repealed, however, in 1950. So sausage rolls are pretty much a given on the menu whenever you go into the country. Also, the Beltane Fire Society still hosts a fire festival every year in Edinburgh. Headed back to the Weed Island, there is a tradition called the Barbrach, which is similar to the king cake at Mardi Gras. The Barbrach is a children cake, each filled with little charms meant to predict their future, depending on what, where they find in their slice. Dublin itself holds a Samhain Parade every year, and the items are pretty much on every menu you'll find, include cocaine, which is mashed potatoes mixed with kale or cabbage. Yes. Now, in the UK, there is a tradition amongst young adults to stand in a darkened room and stare into their reflection in a mirror. The, the face of the person they will marry is said to appear. Though if you see a skeleton, it means you will die before you can find the right one. This really not means nothing, as plenty of people chose to live long lives without ever getting married. So not everyone needs a piece of paper to fall in love and be together for only a night or a few years. So we do, however, admit that this one's been around for ages in many parts of the world. But apparently, adding in the spookiness of Halloween has apparently taken off there. Fortune-telling, scrying, and tarot reading are strongest this time. Ooh, I'll have to bring out my uh, familiar tarot cards and see if I can get some good readings. Right. Now, the UK, going back to the turnip origins, actually inspired America's love for carving pumpkins. But in the UK, they carve beets and turnips as it is hard to grow pumpkins across the larger uh, parts of Europe. Really, a lot of England stopped celebrating All Saints Day when Martin Luther, Protestants' Reformation, began to spread. A new ritual 
have nothing to do with Halloween or Samhain, was formed on the falls of November 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November, because it's Guy Fawkes Day. Effigies of the notorious English traitor who was executed on that day are burned throughout the county. Bonfires are lit and fireworks are set off. Grim, but it sounds like quite a party. Yes, pumpkin seeds are very delicious. Yes, they are. Now in Australia, the kids don't dress up, trick-or-treat, or eat lots of candy. Instead, they enjoy All Souls Week, leaving the light on throughout the night and putting out bread and water for their ancestors. All Souls Day itself for Australians. I'm sorry, we're not in Australia. We're in Austria. I apologize. Yeah. Um, this happens in Austria, not Australia. But Sure you did. <laughs> All Souls Day itself for Austrians is spent thinking about loved ones who have passed away, and many visit the cemeteries and light the candles. Yes. Remember, it's Austria, not yes. Australia. I, I hope. Sorry, a little dyslexic ADD moment there. Apologize for yes. that. These places do take bread to their ancestors, don't eat, and feed the ducks at a local pond. That's a fun activity for anyone. Now, Cambodia has their own celebration in September where they honor their dead by traveling to local temples and listening to the monks give speeches and listen to the appropriate karmic music. A fun but odd tradition in Germany takes place around All Saints Day. What is that? <laughs> A dingo ate my Austria baby. <laughs> yes. Oh, Shelly. <laughs> uh, I think it's November 2nd. Uh, All Saints Day is November 1st. So I think they celebrate it on the 2nd um, for the for Mexico, the Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to double check that. I know my... Uh, my in-laws are from Mexico and they celebrate Day of the Dead. But let me see. Okay. In Germany, they do have a tradition that takes place around All Saints Day. Throughout that week, they keep their knives hidden away so they don't accidentally injure any spirits that may be visiting. Many do also visit the graves of their relatives on this day. Now, the Czech Republic, instead of celebrating the commemoration of all the departed, they will visit graves of the loved ones, leaving flowers, lit candles to light the way for the departed souls. They will also put chairs around the fireplace so they can talk with any ghosts that may be visiting. So, if you hear a knock at the door and the door comes open, make sure the fire is warm and the chair is comfy. Oh, that's nice. I'd love to yeah. be able to sit down and have a good conversation. Yeah. Um, speaking of spirits stopping by to say hello, I have a quick story. Okay. Um, my best friend's birthday would have been the 28th. And I was awakened that morning 
by this CD box that we have up in the closet. It's securely stored up there. I was awakened to this loud crashing sound and that box set was sitting on the floor in front of our closet. So I'm wondering if that was my best friend coming by to say hello on her birthday, you know, just making sure I didn't forget it was her day and letting me know that she was still with her. Was it the friends box set? No, it was actually Mercy's Garth Brooks CD okay. collection. Um, but that's the only one I had up there. And so I thought that was very interesting. Okay. So. Cause I I'd be there for you. <laughs> that, yeah, that would have been interesting, but maybe that was the only one she could get her hands on at the time. Maybe. Anyway. Thank you. Know, life would be more, uh, be this way, but you know. Yes. Moving on in Italy. Moving on. <laughs> bean shaped cakes are cooked alongside a feast for their departed relatives. Bonfires are lit until dawn. And in parts of Italy, on the night of purgatory, pumpkins are carved and left in front of houses to drive souls of the damned away from their banquet. However, they do allow the good souls to pass. Children do trick-or-treat and ask for sweets and small offerings for the souls of the dead. And in some regions, they carry pumpkins carved to serve as a personification of their passed away loved one. They bake cookies called dead man's bones, and they're said to be delicious, but are very hard to chew. In Sicily, people hide their cheese graters for Halloween, because in the past, it was said that the dead would come and grate off their feet for those who have misbehaved. Ooh. I now don't we want go. to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just the corns off the bottom. Nothing more, nothing less. Yes. All right. Now we're getting into the dingoes who ate my candy. Because of a house that participates in the wonderful continent of uh, Australia, they hang an orange balloon outside. The American tradition for going to door to door asking for candy is still not usually celebrated, but is gaining popularity. There, apparently, are a few reasons why there hasn't been a mainstream in Australia yet, but mostly due to the supernatural themes around it, as well as reservations about allowing children to go to a stranger's house to request trees. What is caught on, however, is the costume parties and spooky decorations and no dingoes eating candy. Well, I mean, it would be really nice if, you know, the parents would go with their children, you know, spend a little time with the kids taking them trick-or-treating. But I digress. In I Portugal, the children don't dress up, but they do go from door to door. And this is done on the morning of November 1st. Instead of saying trick-or-treat, they say bread for God. In return, they are given small toys, candy, or bread. In Hungary on their Day of the Dead, orphans get to join families and are given food, clothes, and toys. Well, that's kind of sad if you think about it. I mean, they get one day where they can join families? Yeah, and give things. it food and clothes and toys. Jeez. How about adopt yeah. the poor children? Yeah. So, we're in the Philippines... After decorating the gates with their relatives, 
People knock on strangers' doors asking for gifts as they sing the traditional songs. The homeowners will give them money or food to the singers and asking them to sing songs for their dead loved ones. Some households will give children a Filipino delicacy of sweet rice cakes. During the night of the 31st, items such as clothing, plants, or pots will mysteriously disappear from the house, only to be discovered outside in the next morning. It is supposed that this is the doing of the souls who have visited the previous night. Okay. Or perhaps Santa Claus is like getting his area cleared up so he can come down the, that chimney. Who knows? I don't know. Now in Colombia, there is a zombie march that takes place. And 40,000 people dress up as zombies to run the streets. Many people, however, do not celebrate Halloween due to the heavy voodoo presence in the Caribbean. While some are superstitious, even those who don't believe still won't release their black cats outside during the holiday, as there is an unproven belief that black cats may be snatched for sacrifice. Yes. I cannot stress this enough. Keep your black cats in, in on Halloween. Yes. I'm have, I do have a black cat, or at least a, a black and white cat. It's a nice little tuxedo, and I've had black cats in the past. Mm -hmm. They're Me very too. loving, very considerate, yes. and don't think they're cursed. No, same here. Black cat. In fact, we had a black cat cross our path yesterday. I wanted oh, really? to bring it home with me, but I couldn't. Oh, yes. sorry to hear that. It was so now, cute. It was outside the restaurant we went to begging for food. You or the cat? The cat. Okay. I wasn't begging for food. <laughs> It was outside the restaurant begging for food. So I figured, you know, you were there begging for food. You know. No, no, I don't need to beg for food. Okay. <laughs> in Mexico and other Latin countries in Central and South, uh, South America, the Day of the Dead begins November 1st and ends on the 2nd. So it's so actually it's, two days. Yes. Interesting. So, the holiday has actually become more popular in the United States as well as other countries around the world as it is being a celebration honoring the dead. Offerings are set upon an altar along with family photos, favorite foods, cherished personal items, as well as the uh, Day of the Dead flowers. The flowers of which there are several that are popular each have their own meaning. For example, marigolds. They attract the soul to the altar and helps the dead to celebrate their lives, rather being bitter about their death. Families have been even known to create a path of marigolds from their home to the altar. The lovely coxcomb symbolizes the blood of Christ and the reason to rejoice Chrysanthemums symbolizes peace, beauty, and sympathy. Gladiolus represents remembrance and faithfulness. The white variety of the hoary stock is for innocence, especially for the death of children. Baby's breath signifies the purity, love, and innocence. 
Um, I would like to say that both my, as I mentioned before, my um, in-laws are from Mexico, and both my sister-in-laws do have altars year-round in their homes set up for their dead. Um, they have pictures of their grandparents and aunts and uncles who have passed, as well as cousins. And on the day of the dead, they actually light candles for them um, on the altars each year. So I just, I always think that's very nice to go over to their homes and see their altars and, you know, the, the family and loved ones who have passed. Yeah. Now, the reason it actually takes two days is because the first day is specifically dedicated to the children who have passed away and is called Dia de los Niños, or I'm sorry, Dia de los Angelitos, or remembering of the little angels. The second day is Dia de los Funtos, which is also known as Also's Day. Yes, Guatemala, also in the observance of Day of the Dead, with several of the larger cities hosting a giant kite festival to honor their ancestors. Kites are giant and brightly colored, made by each family using local materials. The kites are also taken out to the cemetery, where the ancestors are buried and flown. The tradition actually goes back nearly 3,000 years to the Mayans. Like the days of old, there are still Samhain festivals that, and those who follow those teachings. Now, we're it not is, talking about... I'm sorry? It is true about Day of the Dead. It's a beautiful way for the remembering it. Yes. Now, we're not talking about the original Druids from back, coming back from the dead or the celebration that still takes place in Ireland, but a modern-day Samhain that has become hijacked and tweaked in a sense. Um, this is known as the Wiccan New Year. Wicca is a modern pagan religion first developed in England during the 1900s, combining a variety of pre-Christian religions and cultures, which became mainstream during the 50s. There is no real central person in authority, so it is a practice that grows and evolves over time, who all basically adhere to the statement, if harm ye, I'm sorry, if it harm none, do what you will. What forms the religion for one person may not completely hold for another, though all the Wicca is nature-based. Typically, Wicca is tied to witchcraft, though not all modern witches consider themselves Wiccans. Um, Shelly, I know you're listening in. I, I know you do practice the Wiccan religion. So anything we get wrong here, I do apologize and feel free to correct us at any time. You know, I love you. <laughs> so how does the San Wayne look uh, through Wiccan? There's dancing, feasting, building altar altars to honor the dead and taking nature walks are often included. Modern-day altars include apples, pumpkins, or other fall crops in order to symbolize the harvest. Skulls or skeletons are placed on the altar to re represent the spirits of the dead. Photos of the deceased uh, members are also added, and some Wiccans will bake loaves of a San Juan bread. It's usually buttermilk soda bread for their altars in order to feed visiting spirits. 
Some will cast a circle thinking of their deceased loved ones. And as a family, they will share stories of their ancestors. Some will simply visit the cemetery instead. Hmm. It sounds like fun. Yes. Well, some modern observances may include a party-like atmosphere. The Wicca consider honoring the dead as a serious religion practice rather than a make-believe reenactment of Sam Wayne's of old. One circle sanctuary site we found offered that you should also decorate the home with seasonal symbols and in the colors of orange and black. That you should place animal wreaths on the door and decorate with pumpkins, gourds, corn stalks, acorns, and apples. You should also set candles in a cauldron. Feasting should include the place setting for the deceased either at your table or at a nearby altar. Personally, if you're going to feed somebody, I would put them up at the family table. I agree. Offer a bit of everything, either being eaten or drunk. Invite your ancestors to come dine with you. Your feast should be held in silence, and after the feast, you are to take the contents of the plate and cup you set for the dead outdoors to nature, setting it and leaving it as an altar. Again, our family tradition when we come, you know, probably something like that would be loud and boisterous and getting the getting that spirit into there. Mm-hmm. Yes, Shelly says a meal of fresh harvest, harvested foods. Butternut soup is a must. She hangs, in- mm-hmm. she hangs Indian corn and thank the goddess for the harvest. Yes. Yes. It is suggested that you reflect over the last year, reviewing journals and planners as needed, and meditate on them. Write down your reflections and meditations. Perhaps you should select an area in your home or life to renovate. Release what isn't needed, recognize, and transform. You could do bonfire magic by kindling either an actual bonfire or use your fireplace or even start a small fire in a cauldron. Write down a habit you wish to end and cast it into the flames as you imagine release. Use your tarot, runes, or scry to seek divination and guidance for the year to come. Call upon nature's sacred forms that are associated with Samhain and ask them to aid you and join in a group ritual in your area to connect with others. So modern day Samhain, not exactly for the faint of heart or for Christian in spirit. But it works for you, then who are we to fault you? So whether you celebrate Samhain in the traditional way, or the new way, we wish you well. For those who be honoring their ancestors, may we add our prayers to yours. And for the Halloween fans, <laughs> happy haunting. <laughs> now, I would like to point out that I, I find their, their ritual or their celebration very, very inspiring. And I don't think personally as a Christian that there's anything evil or wrong about it. I think it's a great time to reflect. Um, exactly. There is no devil in the craft. Um, that is a Christian deity. 
Um, I think that this is actually a good tradition for anyone to practice as it does, you know, help you to look back on your life, see where you need to improve, um, honor those who have passed on. And I mean, I think this was a great way to celebrate the day. What do you think? Well, uh, kind of a, I, uh, I know you're not much into the tarot readings or the runes or scrying divination. No, I, I don't. But uh, when it comes to that type of thing, I, I, I see the veil really uh, throughout 365 days of the year as being very, very, very thin around me. So, and I don't like to mess with anything that will bring forward anything that will uh, be. Well, true, but I mean, if you're you're looking at it as a fact of just, you know, remembering our loved ones that have passed, and you know, then I don't think that's anything scary or evil. I mean, it's not yeah. like we're conjuring up demons. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to the point of what's going to be going on tomorrow. Yes. Tell us about tomorrow. Yes, we're going to have a special uh, episode tomorrow on All Hallows' Eve. We'll be covering one of the most interesting aspects of, of the 80s, namely the Satanic Panic. It's in a place in the world of the role-playing phenomenon known as Gary Gygax's Dungeon and Dragons. So yes. why don't you join us, please? Won't you join us? Yes. I will be practicing that same art tomorrow, Raymond, after our podcast. My husband and I... No, no, watching the horror movies. My husband no, and I... <laughs> My husband and I have, since we got together 20-some-odd years ago, on Halloween, we have a horror movie marathon where we gather up all of our favorite movies and watch them till we can't keep our eyes open. Well, at least we try not to keep our eyes open, I should say. Sometimes it's easier said than done. Um, but yes, we're looking forward to tomorrow um, while we discuss the satanic panic of Dungeons and Dragons. And we might have a little surprise for all of y'all might so we ask that y'all tune nice. in and again if you're watching us on youtube please make sure to like and subscribe and click the notifications so you know when we're live if you're listening to the reruns of this yes we appreciate it we're so glad oh you've been watching at least one horror movie a day raymond yeah, we um, one horror movie a day, but you know. Yeah, we've been doing as many as we can with with work and stuff. But if you are listening to the replay of this on Apple Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are found, we do ask that you rate and review us. And what kind of rating do we like? Un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq. Yes, we like five stars. And if you do leave any uh, ratings, please leave a review as well. We do read reviews on air. 
If there's anything you'd like for us to discuss or any questions you have for us, you can always email us at info at skepticpsychic.com. And Shelly, um, D and D dice, D and D dice. Yes, Shelly, if you'd like to D and D dice, if you'd like to share your D and D dice, Shelly, you can always share it in our Facebook group. And we ask those listening to feel free to join our Facebook group, The Skeptic Psychic. It's a great place where we can hang out with like-minded individuals, a safe place to answer questions, share memes, and just hang out. We're still trying to figure out what to call ourselves uh, yes. instead of just the peanut gallery. So if anybody has any ideas, let us know. And anything else you'd like to add tonight? Uh, especially tonight. Unpleasant night airs. <laughs> Sweet dream. Sweet dreams, everybody. And we look forward to seeing y'all tomorrow night. Good night. Good night, all. Don't fear the Wiccans. <laughs> They're going to take me by the hand. Don't fear the Wiccans. <laughs> Sorry. Wiccans are awesome. Yep. Good night, all. Good night. <laughs>